You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Maybe nobody in Houston media has more knowledge than our next guest. In today's show, we welcome back an old favorite Sports Talk 790's Jason Braddock joins us in just moments. He's the man when it comes to football. And welcome back, everybody. I'm Robert Land from the Houston Sports Talk Podcast, alongside my partner and co-host, Brian Patterson from House of Houston. Thanks for jumping on the Locked On Texans podcast, your best daily source of Texans news, views, and interviews. We're part of the FanRag Sports Network and so excited to talk to my friend Jason Braddock, who hosts Sports Talk 790's the bottom line every Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 in the afternoon. Good to hear from you, Jason. Oh, no, it's always a pleasure. Always fun to come on with you guys. Appreciate uh, you and Brian having me on this evening. Cool. Uh, I'm going to start with the offensive line puzzle because I didn't bring you on for the easy questions. I'm bringing you on for the tough ones. Tell me what you make of their attempt to fix the O-line this offseason and who you expect to start across the front five once the dust settles in September. Oh, yeah, it's a very intriguing question. I mean, it's what we're all looking at. It's what we're, when the pads go on, it's probably where all the media's eyes are going to be at, all the fans on the open practices, where, where their eyes are going to be at. I mean, it's, it's the story. I mean, if this is to be a special season for the Texans and every season you start out hoping to have a special season, reason you played the game, then the first chapter of that story is going to be week one, the Texans offensive line. And you could tell how the rest of the uh, book is going to go from there. Uh, as far as where they're sitting right now, you're basically looking at you know four new starters. Nick Martin's the only one coming back that I, I expect to see him as that uh, starting center. Let's work out from there. The left guard and right guard spot, uh, you had Jeff Allen there. They paid big money after they let Brandon Brooks walk, saved a couple dollars to get Jeff Allen. He just hasn't worked out. Uh, a lot of people with the Texans uh, himself, they will blame uh, health, whatever. At this point, the Texans were ranked 32nd out of 32nd's offensive line. Jeff Allen might be the nicest guy in the world, but this team can't have excuses. So best man's going to play, Zach Fulton. They go out there and get him in free agency. We've talked in the past, Robert, about uh, Bill O'Brien's love for versatility, specifically on the offensive line. One of the reasons he passed on Jimmy Garoppolo with a 33rd pick overall in the sec- with the second uh, first pick in the second round back in 2014, if I'm not mistaken, is because he loved Xavier Suofilo. I remember speaking with him and uh, hearing him talk with the media saying that Xavier Suofilo is the type of identity that they wanted on the offensive line, a guy that can play all five offensive line position. And I said at that time, I said, I don't know what film they're watching because I see a guy, I don't even know if he can play one position he's a great I mean he's a good run blocker great running uh, run blocker in college but the pass protection was never there he was clumsy you're completely projecting him for him to project that over five position uh, I think that's probably my my biggest issue Robert to where I'm I'm concerned. I don't trust this Texans team as far as their offensive line evaluations. To give you uh, a little bit more background on how I got to this place on top of overvaluing Xavier Suofilo over a franchise quarterback like a Jimmy Garoppolo, that's just one instance. We can go back from Bill O'Brien's entire uh, time here, and whether you want to blame O'Brien, the offensive line coach, the philosophy, whatever it may be, they've made horrible decision one after another on the offensive line and how they evaluate it. Case in point, last year, even when Dwayne Brown was holding out and most people thought he might not be there at the beginning of the season, I don't think 
any of us expected. I don't think the team expected to not to ever get worked out until we got closer to the NFL trade deadline when it got to a point of no return. All of that said, they knew they were Dwayne Brown wasn't coming back anytime soon to save them. And what they do, they kept pushing Kendall Lamb out there, Kendall Lamb out there, and they rolled into Week One with Kendall Lamb as your starting left tackle on on the team. And it just blows my mind to that because I hadn't seen anything in the previous years. I didn't see anything in camp to what warranted this guy being a starting left tackle. But ignorance is bliss. And they went right into the season with Kendall Lamb as the left tackle. And what was it? Week three, week four, when he was demoted and was even at a healthy scratch at some point last season because he wasn't even good enough to be a backup. (laughs) <laughs> tackle, and this is the guy that they evaluated and said, yes, this is going to be our, our starting left tackle for this season. Is it uh, on the right side? Is it Chantrell and Senio Calamete at guard and tackle, or do you think Martinez Rankin wins a spot over on the right side? Uh, Pencil and Rankin from day one. Everything I heard coming up to the draft, we talked about on the bottom line, uh, that if Martinez Rankin was there in the third round, the Texans were selecting them. Everything I heard was that, again, with Xavier Suofilo, except Rankin is actually really talented. Uh, everything with the Xavier Suofilo stuff, the versatility is what you hear with Rankin, but he can actually do it. He's like a Senio Calamente or even a, a Zach Fulton where he could actually play three, four, maybe even five offensive line positions. The thing is, though, um, as far as Zach Fulton, I don't know if they're going to go left guard with him or right guard. It's semantics at this point. Let him get in there and figure it out. One of them is going to be the starting left guard. One's going to be starting right guard. But for me to answer your question, Martinez Rankin and Zach Fulton are your starting guards next to next, uh, Nick Martin week one. So that pushes us out the tackles. You got Centrell Henderson. Go ahead and pencil him in, maybe even pin him in at the right tackle position. And that's going to be a solid play uh, if his head is right. At the left tackle side, they want Julian Davenport to win this job. Sidney uh, Ocalamente, that versatility. He stepped up when Taron Armstead went down for the Saints last year. Uh, Calamente stepped up and played left tackle and played all up and down the offensive line and played at a high level. And that's why the Texans went after him in free agency. And that's why the Texans went after Zach Fulton in free agency. I don't think this Texans offensive line off is uh, offensive line is as far off as I say most national people would. Um, I think they've got one position that you circle with the in bright red and put question marks all around. That's the left tackle position. My personal preference, I would like to see Central Henderson at least try the left tackle in camp and all that to see if he can do it. See if he can use that size because the Deshaun masked the worst offensive line and put up 39 points a game over uh, his what first. First, last five games and 34 over six starts. So, I mean, and he did that with the worst offensive line. I don't need Centrell Henderson to be, uh, you know, Jason Peters out there at left tackle. Get in the way, use your length, use your uh, your reach, your arms, and just keep them, keep them away. And Deshaun will do the rest. I would like to see Centrell Henderson, knowing Bill O'Brien and the Texans the way I do, I would say, Robert and Brian, that uh, it's going to be a competition down the Julian Davenport was going to have every advantage to win the job. And behind him, I think it's just a crapshoot on who they throw out there. It could be Senio Calamente. That wouldn't surprise me. And then at that point, other guys get in the mix. Personally, though, I'd like to see Henderson get a shot. What do you think about Jared Jones-Smith, or undrafted, uh, getting a shot uh, at this roster? I mean, he's got a lot of raw talent. Uh, he may even be ready to go, you know, because we're going to need the depth. What do you think of his chances, and what did you think of him as a whole uh, whenever the Texans, you know, got him after the draft was over? 
Yeah, here's the thing with this season. I started doing uh, a ton more with Astros and Rockets and everything else. I wasn't able to get into the draft as deep as I wanted to this year for the first time. But we talked all the way leading up to the draft about the importance of that undrafted class. And guys that they brought in, they were so limited on roster spots from the talent that they had coming back and the draft picks that they had and they wanted to hit on that if if they went and paid big money for an undrafted guy, they have big plans for that guy. I know they invested in the offensive line with some guys, different positions, but it's going to be one of those things probably in the next month or so. Now that the NBA, NBA finals are, are halfway done and the Rockets aren't in them, sadly, yeah. then, uh, then I can just get back to start grinding some tape more, more on the football side of it. So I'll start looking at all these undrafted kids and probably start doing a write-up for them over at sports79.com under the bottom line blog. I want to ask you about the backup quarterback spot in just a bit, but just want to remind our listeners really quick, if you're enjoying Locked On Texans, tell your friends, let them know they can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, most anywhere you'll find your favorite podcast. If you'd like to check out more podcasts from our national Locked On Network, go to LockedOnSports.com, our new Locked On Network website. We've got podcasts for nearly every NFL and NBA team, plus we have the Locked On NFL Draft and Locked On NFL shows as well it's all on lockedonsports.com that's lockedonsports.com jason what would you have done to plug up the backup quarterback spot and i assume it wasn't brandon whedon i'm I'm glad you asked i think that's probably the most under talked about it's probably not a correct sentence or phrase we're going to go with it though guys Uh, (laughs) i I think more mention needs to be focused on that backup quarterback position because i I just don't understand when i say what did bill o'brien do to return and make no mistake about it i'm not saying rick smith should have kept his job i'm i was saying if if you're going to go out there and give this team another shot um, because you got Deshaun Watson, then you bring them both back. But what I would have done was let both of them gone, uh, let both of them walk out the door. I, I still can't make sense of it, of why Rick Smith is out and Bill O'Brien got a four-year extension off a of 4-12 and season. And what everyone told me here, the fan base and other media, and what people told me was that, well, when Deshaun was playing, he was doing this, 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 and this. I'm like, that's all great and good, but the guy doesn't learn his lesson. Yeah, Deshaun did all of that, right? And then he went down, they went 4-12. and There was no... You, you don't start a season without a plan B, and the Texans didn't start the season with a plan B last year, and now they're making the same mistake again. You bring back Brandon Whedon. You go pick up Joe Webb. You go claim Stephen Morris. Any of those guys do anything for you? If you go down, if Deshaun Knocklewood goes down for four games, let's say, you want a guy that can at least, until Deshaun comes back, go two and two with the hope of being able to take that quarter season and go three and one. They got guys that will probably go 0 and 4 or at best get you to 1 and 3. I, I just don't understand the thinking of it. That being said, maybe I'm being too harsh on Bill O'Brien because it is early June, and we saw they didn't. They were talking to the Patriots about Ryan Mallett during the draft, and that didn't happen until y'all probably got better recall than me. But I don't think that happened until August. So maybe they're playing coy, trying to let the value come down. But the guy I would be all in on is Brett Hundley. They traded. Got Deshaun Kaiser's last year uh, first uh, second round pick from Cleveland. 
He's under his rookie contract through 2020. Brett Hundley's in the last year of his rookie deal. You might as well trade him now so you can get some value because at the end of the year, he's walking and you're not bringing him back because he didn't he didn't show you what you needed to see from him last year when he got that opportunity to start. Deshaun Kaiser's easy paycheck for a backup quarterback and has high potential. Brett Hundley's not in their future plan. You can get Brett Hundley out of Green Bay, and I don't think it's going to cost you a ton to do it. Houston should be on the phone this entire summer to that deal is done. Absolutely. Uh, you always hear about quarterbacks having to adjust after their rookie season. And since we're on the quarterbacks, is there a major adjustment, Jason, you think Deshaun's going to be dealing with that maybe he had he didn't see in year one? Well, the thing with Deshaun that's going to be key that I'm so interested. I always talk about sports as books. And, and so it, forgive my analogies and everything. But with Deshaun, you know, chapter two of his NFL season and in this chapter, you know, like in any good book, there's always going to be peaks and valleys. And so when I start this chapter, what I'm intrigued to see as chapter two goes on for Deshaun Watson, I, I, I want to see how he responds. Because I remember watching Deshaun at Clemson when he tore his first ACL in the other knee. And he came back the next season, and he was just beating colleges from the pocket. He wouldn't run the entire season. I'm like, he's not running anymore. But then when it got time and uh, got to points in games where they had to have a first down, had to have a touchdown, he didn't care about the injury. He picked and chose his moments like a vet quarterback would do. And it was rare to see such a young quarterback coming off an ACL know when to cut the throttle on and when to cut it off. And I think that there's no reason for me to believe here a more mature, older professional Deshaun Watson won't have that same capability. It's rare to see a guy be able to cut that on and off. And that's been the downfall for you guys like Robert Griffin, Colin Kaepernick, all of those mobile quarterbacks of the past that always relied on their legs. Deshaun's already shown in college that he can beat you from the pocket. He's shown you in the pros, but he scared you with the legs. So we have to see this year how, how much tighter are the windows when he's not scaring you with the legs, or is he still going to scare you with his leg? A lot of questions for myself. From myself on this, guys, I'm very intrigued to see the storyline play out. How about this? Uh, you have any earthly idea what we're going to see, what we should expect with these new kickoff rules? No, I mean, it, I, I just don't know why the NFL is toying around with it anymore. At this point, everybody knows where we're, gonna, where we're going with this. In five years, there will not be a kickoff in the NFL. So why toy it around? Why toy around with the special teams and the stats? Go ahead and start plotting and planning, setting the rosters, because if there's no kickoff, I don't have the importance to bring on, uh, fill my 53-man rosters with as many special teams players as I would have. Yes, you still have to have those guys. Yes, a lot of those guys play on the punt unit. But there's some of those guys that you can kind of shave and maybe get a third-string quarterback on your 53-man roster. Or maybe you get a six-wide receiver or whatever it may be. Uh, I, I'm So to me, I love the kickoff. I think it allows other athletes to do what they do well, like a Cordell Patterson, uh, Texans rookie, Kiki Cutie. I want to see what he can do on a kickoff return. But if you're going to limit it to the point where there's never a big play out of it, then what are we doing? Just quit dancing and do away with the whole thing. With the offense, with the way it's going uh, right now, um, especially at the running back position, you know, we can always use some help. And, you know, with the latest rumors with Adrian Peterson, how do you think that he would be able to help uh, this team? And do you think he would be a good fit 
versus, you know, Alfred Blues, our third back. We don't know what the status is uh, with Deontay, you know, as far as when he comes back or when he ever is going to be ready. Do you think it would be helpful to bring in an Adrian Peterson at this stage in his career? I, I can't give you a yes or no answer to that, Brian. This is why, because I'm torn on this. I've wanted Adrian Peterson to come play for the Houston Texans for as long <laughs> as I can remember. And in the last couple of years, uh, he's been saying, I, you know, the teams I want to go play for, the cities I want to go play for is there for the Houston Texans. That's one of the teams he would list. And it made sense. Last year, it made more sense than it does this year. That being said, I, What's he going to get at this point? Nobody wants him. He's still out there. He's an older back. All the injury history and everything didn't work out last year. What are we talking about? One year, $2 million? One year, $3 million? I don't see what it would hurt at this point. That being said, this is why I say I can't do yes and no, because I can see it from either way. If the Texans don't decide to go out there and, and make that move for him, I really don't fault them for it because Adrian Peterson has shown in the past with the uh, the typical offense that you expect the Texans to run with Deshaun Watson. They ran that in Minnesota with Teddy Bridgewater and Adrian Peterson's one of these guys like a DeMarco Murray where they need that running strip. If you give them that running strip, let them build up the speed before taking off, they can do some damage. When you have a guy in, in shotgun, run, uh, run, have running backs running out of shotgun or running out of pistol and all that, it changes the dynamic of what makes Adrian Peterson so well. That being said, if Deontay Foreman, you, you mentioned, Brian, the injury concerns, if you still have that concern and if you still have the concern that Foreman hasn't uh, developed as a, a a pass protector, then by all means, you bring Adrian Peterson in, even though he hasn't been a great pass protector in his career, he hasn't had, he hasn't had to be. If he's willing and Bill O'Brien meets with him, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to protect Deshaun. It's going to be my folks. All right. I'm going to be a three down back, yada, yada, yada. One year, 2 million, one year, 3 million. Why not? Which Texans player, Jason, or maybe position group will be most affected by this new helmet role? Will it f- affect any one group or player more than, Another, do you think? Well, with any of these rules, it's just all of it's going to depend on how they enforce it. I mean, they've come out with, I mean, remember the rule they came out with a couple years ago? And I'm like, how are they going to enforce this? And the rule I'm talking about is that when running backs got outside of the tackles and they lower their head and hit people, you know, or hit people with the crown of their head. I mean, there's all these penalties and all that. I think they called it just like a handful of times that year. You're not calling this impact football and everything. But as far as this new rule, it, it, it could literally change the game. And I don't think I'm overstating that because we've seen your big hitters lose their values. Guys that used to get drafted higher in a draft because they could come up and be your Ronnie Lott, your Steve Atwater, those guys, their value's dead. DJ Swearinger was a second-round pick for the Texans, as both of you know. And that's what he did. He'd come up, uh, lay the stick, talk trash like a Bernard Pollard would and all that. But he, 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 you could get him in the passing game. If you took him outside that box, you could beat him in the passing game and everything. So it, it's changed the value of safeties, and it changed the way you evaluate safeties. Now, if they take it an entire another step and where they start ejecting guys, those guys are dead. Those guys that are just run, stop in, uh, make a big hit, ring their bell type safeties, their career is there. This is uh, one of the final straws in it. I mean, where's your value at? You're going to have to, it's going to become even more of a passing league where you're going to have to be able to run and cover more. I said Kevin Johnson might be the most effective. You think that's fair? 
the way he tackles? That's a good one. Kevin can go, but Kevin goes low so much. The biggest thing on Kevin Johnson uh, is what I loved about him coming out, and I still, we talked about this on the show today, me and Sean, where I said I still don't like people already throwing that bus label out there on him like, they did with Jadavion Clowney because the talent was there. I, I, I've studied a ton of quarter, uh, cornerbacks coming out of college for the last decade. One of my favorite positions to uh, watch because it's one of the toughest positions to play. And Kevin Johnson, out of all the cornerbacks I've ever watched, had one of the best route recognitions in college. He knew he, he ran the routes better than wide receivers. He knew what they were doing. It was staggering. I haven't seen that from him yet, and I don't understand it. Uh, it could only be a loss of confidence. And if it's just a loss of confidence, if they can get that back to him, the talent's still there. Yeah, he still has to add on muscle. I think he added on a couple pounds of muscle last year. Still has to stay healthy. None of that I, I can help you with. And if we're being honest, the Texans shouldn't have been so morally superior and should have took a top five corner. Marcus P- Peters when it was looking them dead in the mouth instead of taking the cleaner Kevin Johnson. Man, I hope you're right about Kevin Johnson. I'd ask you some, some big picture stuff. Uh, but just want to remind everybody real quick to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, email us at LockedOnTexans at Mail.com. If you forget any of that, it's all in the show description of each podcast. Always look forward to hearing from, from you, so please email us a question or record a message for us, and we'll answer it on the show. Send it to LockedOnTexans at Mail.com. That's LockedOnTexans at Mail.com. Jason, I want to ask you about Brian Gain. If you were to guess, is he going to be a big improvement over Rick Smith? Um, you know, I might have to ask you to, to specify on that, like get more in detail. Cause there were some things Rick was one of the best at, and there's some stuff that Rick, Rick was horrible at. So, I mean, if you're just talking about in general, yeah, well, number one, he's got a guy in Bill O'Brien that's on his side, but the reason if Brian game fails, it'll be mostly because, uh, because of that alignment, like they like to say. And what I mean by that, this is Bill O'Brien's guy. If you don't think Bill O'Brien signing off or pulling the trigger on every move, this is exactly what he wanted when he got here. He wouldn't have signed a four-year extension, come out for four and 12 years without knowing that he's finally going to be able to run the team the way he wants to. And that means cutting guys when he wants to, getting guys that he has to have, and not having that back-and-forth power struggle with Rick Smith. He got Rick out of the building. He got exactly what he wants. And uh, now if Brian Gaines fails – it won't because, be because I think Brian Gaines evaluation. I think it'll be because uh, how's the nicest way I can put this? Um, he'd be too afraid to step on Bill O'Brien's toes, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess my my thing with uh, Brian Gaines is is he going to be a better evaluator of talent? Are we going to get more guys in the first few rounds of the draft and not have to worry about undrafted free agents at the last second trying to bail us out late in training camp early in the season? Well, you mentioned undrafted. I mean, Rick Smith nailed Aaron Foster and A.J. Boyer, two of the best at their position uh, during their primes of their career. Rick did that. Uh, Also, um, maybe Dylan Cole, too. And yeah, I was about to say, and Dylan Cole, and we can go down the list and more and more guys are going to pop out. The trade for Chris Myers to Denver, his old team where he worked at. So there's tons of stuff. Uh, Rick Smith gets a bad rap. Uh, he obviously wasn't great, but he wasn't as bad as he was made out to be. The one thing that magnified uh, people's opinions of Rick Smith, and this is on Rick, and there's nobody else to blame for it, is that he undervalued the quarterback position. Uh, I went on year after year after year and talked about how few quarterbacks uh, win a Super Bowl for a team that's not the team that drafted them. Uh, over the last 15-plus years, I think there's only two quarterbacks that had, uh, had done it, 
and it was Peyton Manning leaving on a free agent contract to, to go to Denver and Drew Brees leaving on a free agent contract to go to New Orleans. So unless you're getting a Hall of Famer in free agency, you have to draft and develop these guys. And Rick Smith just didn't do it. I want to circle back to the to the big thing that you were talking about on the offensive line that I think is I think you sort of hinted at this. And this is something that I, that I was uh, saying on our show for the last couple of months. Is it possible that the Texans emphasis on versatility on the offensive line is a bad thing because it's so difficult to find a good offensive line? if you're asking for somebody to be versatile? I think it could be. I I think that's a very smart question because I definitely think it could be uh, more of a curse than a blessing. And it's it's like what you said, to point out the example. So it's not just me saying, oh, I'm just guessing here. Let's look at Jeff Allen. Jeff Allen, go back and look at the contracts Brandon Brooks signed and the one that Jeff Allen signed here. So they let Brandon Brooks walk. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they let the better player walk for only, I want to say, half a million dollars more a year. I may be wrong on that, but I think the APY was only a half a million dollars a year different. And Brandon Brooks was clearly the better the better player, knew the awesome and all that, and it never made sense to me. Now you hear the comments coming out this week about how from Brandon Brooks about how Bill O'Brien, uh, you know, going there, changed everything, turned the TVs off the, in the cafeteria to where guys just had to sit there and quiet. I mean, just wanted to be business, 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 and told him, said, made him hate football and he wanted to retire. Well, now that makes sense of why they went away from Brandon Brooks and why Brandon Brooks that entire season didn't want to comment too much about the contract situation and being back. And then you bring in Jeff Allen. Well, Jeff Allen had played so well in Kansas City that he got a contract almost on par with Brandon Brooks, a pro bowler. And he hasn't done nothing here. Part of the reason is, is that as soon as he got here, that versatility you're talking about, Robert, they moved him from that left guard position to that right guard position. And he had played other positions, but he was predominantly the left guard there in Kansas City. Houston gets him here. We love his versatility. He's playing that right guard. And he's been atrocious the entire free agent period he's been here. I got a baseball thing for you because the Texans, Jason, have had so much luck with Clemson players. You're going to love this. Jeff Luno has jumped on the bandwagon. We're recording this on Monday night and just heard this one. The Astros drafted Clemson outfielder Seth Beer with their first round pick. I, I knew you'd love that. You're your South Carolina guy, <laughs> Chase. Yeah, I mean, Clemson's my college. I said, you know, when, when they finally got a franchise quarterback and when the organization started going up on the right tick before last season, it's when they started drafting these Clemson guys and these guys from the Carolinas. The Houston is finally figuring out the secret recipe to this world, and I applaud them for it. But, I mean, this is a win-win. He's a Clemson guy, and his name's Beer. What else do you need on the scouting report? Yeah. I was reading a little bit about him, 80-grade uh, player, left-handed bat, 21 homers last year. Uh, I think he batted like 370 as a fresh there at Clemson it looks like they're getting a player but I'm not going to even act as if I can evaluate anywhere close <laughs> to the level that Jeff Luno does what's good enough for me is if it's good enough for Luno it's good enough for me I've seen the proofs in the pudding with Jeff Luno beer and baseball outfielders always go well together uh, any guests coming up on the bottom line that we should look for this week uh, we got a couple different things we're working on, uh, but then things are just so cosmetic on there that, like, uh, I think it was Friday, uh, Friday, uh, Gordy pops his head in and says, hey, Ice Cube's coming on in the 5 o'clock, seven, you know, he's coming on to talk to Big Three with you. Like, uh, uh, He's like, y'all got anything planned? I'm like, you just, at, you just told me that Ice Cube wants to come on, <laughs> and then it does not matter what I have planned. Bring him on. So... 
a lot of times it happens like that. Sometimes we work things out uh, with some athletes and the schedule doesn't work out. So we got a couple things planning, uh, planned. Uh, but we will usually be out at Twin Peaks on Fridays. You can usually catch the bottom line out at Twin Peaks around Houston, Shenandoah, Kirby location, wherever, all out and about here in the Houston uh, Houston area. And we're back out on Kirby on June 15th. So come out, see myself, and more importantly, come out and see former Houston Olegray, Sean Jones, top 25 all-time in sacks. 3 to 6 p.m., 7.90 a.m. It's at Jason with a Y Braddock. Do I got it all? That's it. You got it. And real Sean Jones on the bottom line. Thanks a lot, brother. We never get enough time with you, but I just enjoy it so much. It's great to talk with you. Hey, whatever you need, man, enjoy your work over there at House of Houston. Brian, keep doing up the, uh, keep putting out the great work and everything. Robert, it's always a pleasure catching up. I'll catch up with you guys when the uh, season gets a little closer. Hang on with us for about 10 seconds. Uh, We're going to wrap things up. Don't forget that Brian's got it all covered. Like you just said, House of Houston, a fan side affiliate, houseofhouston.com. My Houston Sports Talk podcast, easy to find on iTunes and most anywhere you listen to your podcast. Great interview with Galen White on his new book. Uh, You got to go listen to that. I can't do it justice here real quick. When you're done listening to Locked On Texas, Texans rate us on iTunes. Let us know what you think. What you might suggest will take it to heart. That's all we got for this one. As always, thanks for making us a part of your week. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 